Welcome to Mortification of Spin, a casual conversation about things that count, with Carl Truman and Todd Pruitt, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. Let's join this week's conversation. Welcome to Mortification of Spin. My name is Carl Truman. I am professor at Grove City College in beautiful Western Pennsylvania. Uh, and I'm here, as always, with my long-standing friend, perhaps my only friend, <laughs> the Reverend Todd Pruitt, pastor of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Harrisonburg, Virginia. Todd, I got your title I know. perfectly right. Um, I'm, time. I'm happy about that. You didn't have to hesitate. You knew immediately what church I serve, all that, all that good stuff. Now, but it, it has to read- be... Read cue cards better than our current president. Yeah, there yeah, you but go. We're, so. Well, yes, exactly. Of course, that's not particularly distinctive as a strength. But I do have to say, Carl, I mean, certainly you have more friends than me. Um, uh, I mean, I, 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 you and I talked not long ago. You even had the distinction of making a few Muslim friends recently as well um, I, out on I, the left coast. I did. I had the, the interesting experience slash privilege of being invited to speak at Zaytuna College which is the only accredited Muslim liberal arts college in the United States. Uh, and its campus is literally across the road from UC Berkeley. So it was kind of fun to be speaking about LGBTQ stuff uh, yeah. within a few feet of, of Judith Butler's home territory. <laughs> uh, uh, and as yeah. I, I joke with friends, you know, the safest place for me to be in Berkeley is is a bit like the Jews in medieval Spain. It's, it's the Muslim enclave, really. Right. You know, nobody's right. going to pick a fight with them. And I had a very, very interesting time. Uh, it was striking mm-hmm. how the room was full. It must have been 250 young mm-hmm. muslims um, mums and dads right all very very concerned about what is going on not just within the california educational system mm-hmm. uh, but within the united states as a whole so it was a very very interesting experience i made some good yeah. friends there and it's been interesting since seeing how during pride month yeah. uh, some of the most prominent protesters of some of the yeah. pride excesses are emerging within the uh, the Muslim community. Yeah. So, and it's interesting to see, experience. it's interesting because the left has been noticing that and they're, I, I, I see far less cries and warnings of Islamophobia from them now, but, uh, yeah, that's, a, yeah. My, in fact, that's chatting a, to the Muslims, it, it was very interesting. They were saying, uh, the left doesn't know what to do with us. Right. Right. Because, you know, our skin color is different. Mm-hmm. We, we are a different community. And mm-hmm. it was interesting as well. Afterwards, there was, there were a couple of people there. One of my colleagues actually from Grove happened to be in Berkeley and turned up, uh, mm-hmm. but there was another guy identified as, as probably a Christian in the audience and chatting to him afterwards turned out he was an, elder in the orthodox presbyterian church mm. and i made some comment to him i said well this must be an unusual environment for you and he said oh no i know many of the families here and i said how do you do that he said, well i teach at the local christian school and many of these families send their kids to the local yeah. christian school because they don't agree with my theology he said but they want their kids taught respect they want their kids taught spiritual seriousness mm-hmm. uh, they don't want their kids taught the crazy stuff that's coming right. out of out of california so it just struck me as in the public square, I think right. there are some very interesting 
political alliances that may right. emerge in the next couple of years. And, and I had a blast. It was yeah. uh, I had tremendous, tremendous fun uh, there as well. So, well, that's good. Anyway, well, that's good. We have a special guest today. Uh, in fact, he may be my other friend. You never know. I thought I was going to have that recognition. Of <laughs> I hope so. Uh, I had the great pleasure and privilege of, of working uh, with this gentleman for many years when I taught at uh, – uh, Westminster Theological Seminary in in Philadelphia, uh, and he headed up the practical uh, theology department. I like to think of him as the PCA's answer to Frank Sinatra. Uh, not that he is a professional crooner, though his wife has a beautiful singing voice. Yes. She's a trained singer, uh, but he took to heart Frank Sinatra's famous advice that one should retire early and often. Uh, we've actually caught him in uh, in one of the those. Uh, uh, moments when he is he's back out of retirement it uh, is of course my dear friend former colleague tim whitmer who was for many years pastor of crossroads church just outside philadelphia and is currently serving as interim pastor of the rpc church in Ephrata, deep in the heart of lancaster county and we've asked him to come on today to discuss uh, a new book that he's edited the shepherd's toolbox so Welcome, Tim. It's great to see oh, you again. Good to connect. Thank you very much. It's uh, it's great to be here and great to be unretired and um, also in the land of buggies and bicycles. I don't know. <laughs> right. So tell us about the book, Tim. I mean, mm. it's it's part of a, a, a series of books that you, mm. you've been developing, though I think this is the first composite edited volume you've done. Uh, the notion of, of shepherding is very dear to your heart, but Todd, I think, is going to ask mm -hmm. you about that in a few minutes' time. But yeah. what was the burden, the specific burden be lay behind mm -hmm. this book, and and how do you choose the team you chose in order to to put the the volume together? Okay, uh, when the tenth anniversary of the Shepherd Leader was coming up, we talked about the possibility of doing an edited version of uh, the Shepherd Leader, and uh, decided. That a better tact would be to uh, look at some of the best practices that have come out of the um, the work put into the Shepherd Leader uh, by many many churches, and so this team of authors are folks who, uh, in my mind, have made a a a good contribution in certain areas of uh, of shepherding, and specifically one of the, one of the the bigger challenges that we've seen in this uh, trying to apply the shepherding principles is the what I call the comprehensiveness test, meaning how do you how do you make sure that you are shepherding every member? Um, and uh, some of these churches have really done a done a great job done a great job of that. Uh, so these authors, uh, actually, some of them I met at a a consultation we put together for large church pastors. Uh, one of the challenges being that when churches reach a certain number, it's how do you shepherd thousands of people? And um, so some of these pastors were part of that consultation. I call it a consultation because it was really pastors interacting with pastors because I've never pastored a church of 500 or 1,000 or 2,000. So it was really a, an opportunity for them to, to interact and to share ideas. So several of them I met, uh, I met there. 
Yeah, it's not not a pressing question in the OPC generally. Not something we <laughs> wrestle with in Presbytery. What do you What do you do if you have a church of a thousand yeah. in the OPC? Yeah. Well, yeah. well, you worry about you, wor you, you wonder about what doctrine the guy's soft pedaling on. <laughs> That's <laughs> right, exactly. Either exactly. that, or you're already in the church triumphant. <laughs> there you go, uh, Tim. When I was um, coming up in ministry in in the 90s, uh, late 80s and, and into the 90s, uh, the church growth movement was in full swing. Uh, so many of us had made our pilgrimages to um, South Barrington, Illinois, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. out to uh, Orange County, California, and uh, had gone to the conferences. And one of the things I heard repeatedly um, in my early days as a minister, and unfortunately continued to hear it, and you'll still hear it today from some influential megachurch pastors is that this whole notion of pastor as a shepherd um, is no longer helpful. Uh, shepherd was a a perhaps a, a helpful first century metaphor for people living in an agrarian society, but it's no longer helpful. And we need to find new metaphors to explain modern American life and the realities of megachurches, et cetera. But we need to get rid of, we need to, to, uh, to, to, to drop uh, this idea of of the pastor as a shepherd um what is your response to that and 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 what is it about being a shepherd that's actually quite unique mm -hmm. um but uh what what do you think as you hear that as i'm sure you heard that as well yeah uh, at various I think times the first thing the first thing to note is that there's no doubt that uh, shepherding is hard it it takes time and uh, one of the things I like to say is anybody can draw a crowd, but it takes work to make disciples. Um, and uh, uh, as a matter of fact, um, when uh, when I went to visit the the hers who helped me with information about sheep in writing the shepherd leader, I noticed that they didn't have any sheep anymore. Hmm. And I asked them, well, where are all the sheep? And they said, we don't have sheep anymore. We only have goats. <laughs> and I said, why? And they said, well, the sheep were too hard to take care of. So, I mean, it's, it's an intensive work because what is what is required in ministry? And the longer the longer I have served again and again and again mm -hmm. in, in ministry is that ministry is about relationship. And the heart of the heart of the shepherding metaphor is the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. Um, the the dynamic verb to know. Uh, defines it as Jesus says, the shepherd knows the sheep and the sheep know their shepherd. And uh, that's, that's hard. It takes time. And I, I'm not sure I, I can't characterize all mega churches this way, but mm -hmm. they, I don't think also they embrace the Presbyterian polity of the, right. the parity of the eldership. Mm -hmm. That's really at the heart of what we're called to do in the church in terms of shepherding the flock. Yeah. Uh, another another interesting anecdote. When I was working with the PT department at uh, at Westminster, I was actually trying to um, inculcate the metaphor into the curriculum in a more broad based way. And uh, one of the members of my faculty in my department at that time was uh, the head of CCF, and he said, I don't know why, how shepherding is going to work these days because it's such an antiquated metaphor. Yeah. And then I reminded him that the best-selling, at that point, the best-selling book, CCF book of all time was called Shepherding a Child's Heart. Yeah. <laughs> so I yeah. guess it connects at some level. Yeah. 
you know, it was interesting. Um, about two years ago, I, I read a book that at that time was still pretty new um, called uh, uh, A Shepherd's Life. It was by a um, English uh, shepherd. Uh, his name is James Rebanks, and he's a he's a a, a shepherd in England, runs sheep, and uh, he's since written a follow up as well. As far as I know, he's not a Christian. There's nothing intended to be theological or reflective on the church. He he literally writes about uh, this life of of being a shepherd in 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 modern day England. And and the thing that I found that was so fascinating about the book over and over again, and what was so confirming about it was. I can't think of any other vocation that's like being a shepherd to sheep. I just can't think of anything else like it. Um, and, and so it's not just this this metaphor that's that can be cast aside. There are unique things about being a shepherd, unique things about shepherding sheep mm-hmm. um, that are particularly relevant to what the scriptures call pastors to do. And I and my suspicion is that very often, uh, the desire to want to do away with that metaphor is is perhaps, and I can't speak for everybody, but perhaps sometimes just a dislike for the task itself. Mm-hmm. Because as you mentioned, it is hard. It is frustrating. It's never done, you know, and. Uh, um, yeah, and sheep are, sheep are uh, what we call in Lancaster County, Shushlik. Meaning that they are—they've got their own personalities, and they, right. they want to do their own thing, and right. and they're just like just like people, just yeah. like we are. Yeah. Nasty, dirty, and stupid was my experience. <laughs> yeah, I, I grew yeah. up in a, a rural setting, you know, built on the wool trade, and uh, yeah, sheep are very stupid creatures. Yeah. <laughs> you just gave me my next three-point sermon about shepherding your car. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things I love about your books, uh, Tim, and I remember a, a student once asked me at, at Westminster, you know, what, uh, you know, what what had made your book so successful because I think it was a bit of a runaway hit that no one sort of expected at the time. And it struck me as I reflected on it that you're one of the few, uh, and I don't mean this in a patronizing way, I mean this as a com- as a compliment, you're one of the few guys who actually has had a, a, what I would describe as a normal experience of ministry, hmm. who's then gone on to write about ministry. Right. And that's not to, to denigrate the John Pipers of this world. You know, John Piper's book, We're Not Profe- Brothers, We're Not Professionals. Hmm. These are great books of Tim Keller, of course, but just a number of books with pastoral angles to them. But by and large, most students at seminary are not going to have the kind of ministry that John Piper had or Tim Keller had. These are unique men, unique gifts who receive unique blessings from the Lord in, in many ways. Most of them are going to be ordinary guys mm-hmm. uh, working away in backwards parishes, backwards churches. Uh, they're not going to have a raft of, they're not going to be like Todd, you know, has a pastor of, you know, this, that, and a pastor of overseas investments, pastor of, you know, this, that, and the other. He, live, he lives uh, in the Cayman Islands, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're going to have to do everything, maybe yeah. even organize their own schedule, for example. Right. And one of the things I, I love about your book, Tim, is you can you can read your books and think, yeah, I I can do that. That, mm-hmm. that's going to be something that as a local pastor or, or even just as a member of a local session, yeah, that resonates with me. Mm-hmm. I, I understand that. Have you found that to be 
the kind of the the response you've been getting over the over the decades since the first book's publication uh, have you well, had a lot of, all, of really thank you thank you for your that? kind kind words carl i appreciate that i i remember when i was uh voted full professor at westminster and you got up to spoke at the lunch and the vote was unanimous and you said the only one who was what was the quote you said the only one who was voting unanimously has no enemies or the man else. who has no enemies has no honor <laughs> yeah well uh you know i i think you know my writing style is is very simple and very practical and uh, people people have kind of sh they they i know some who have who shake their heads and say it's so simple and it's not rocket science it, it's like you say it's it's just taking the scriptures and applying them practically to uh, to ministry situations, um, and no one was more surprised at how well received the book has been than than I was, and continue to be. Mm. Um, and if there was, I mean, this is a cliched question, or uh, uh, Todd will no doubt have more questions. But one thing I'd like to ask you, and it, and it is a cliched question, but if there's something you know now that you wish you had known on the day that you were ordained to your first pastor, if there's mm. one piece of wisdom that you'd like to pass on <laughs> to the next, I mean, I'm sure there are many things you know now that you didn't know. And it's probably good that we don't know some of the things that are coming. Otherwise we'd never do the job in the first place. Mm -hmm. But what is the one thing that you think the newly minted pastor today really needs to know about about pastoral ministry beyond the usual yeah he's got to preach he's got to minister the lord's supper this kind of thing what's that what's the key right. thing you know i i think when i was asked i was asked a question on one of my retirements what was <laughs> Do you remember which one <laughs> no actually uh i was asked uh what is what is the best part of pastoral ministry and i said uh, the people and then they said, well, what's the worst part of pastoral ministry? And I said, the people. Yeah. <laughs> but looking back, Carl, I would say that I wish, wish someone had told me to invest more time in men. Uh, because one of the things that I experienced in my ministry and have seen in churches with which I've consulted through the years is just the the lack of of elders where are we supposed to find these leaders where are the leaders well you know you don't have leaders because you don't invest in the men in the church and it's like you don't have green beans in your garden because you didn't plant green bean seeds you know it's just mm -hmm. fairly logical but uh i i would i would i would tell men that that it's ministry is harder than you think it's going to be harder uh, it's going to be more blessed than you think, but think of ways to invest in the men of the church. Yeah, Tim, it's interesting to say that because we're we're finding the same thing. Just the the vital nature of that in the church I serve. So each each one of us who are teaching elders on our staff, um, each one of us have a a small group of men that we're teaching um, that That's we meet great. with on a regular basis. Um, and we do everything from Bible study to, um, like I, I've been working systematically through the Westminster confession of faith with a group of men, and we do it primarily for two reasons. One, 
um, because we're elders and we need to be teaching, mm-hmm. um, but also um, to disciple men and to simultaneously keep an eye out on men that we think there's a potential officer, there's a potential teacher, yeah. deacon, elder, someone, and to see how we can be be building them up. And we've found that to be incredibly um, important. Let me ask you this, Tim, um, on a related note, um, what, what, what would you say, or how would you, uh, kind of counsel pastors to think about counsel elders to think about, um, how we shepherd, um, our sisters in Christ mm-hmm. in the church. Now, obviously we're shepherding everybody when we preach, Mm-hmm. Um, when we lead in prayer, all of those things, we're, we're, we're shepherding the whole flock. So no, no question about that. Um, but it's also different in, you know, in the way that we r- relate to men, it, it should be, it has to be. Um, but what are, what are some things that you would encourage sessions to think about, to make sure that, that, that they are caring well, or, or that, that, that their sisters in Christ in the church are being cared well for because there's just some things we can't mm-hmm. you know give them what 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 do you say about that yeah that's a great that's a great question because that's the question that came up over the years as well well so if you're making shepherding contacts you're often interacting with uh, the head of the household um and not so much with the wives and how are you to deal with the comfort level of well you tell a guy well i'm, I'm going to be texting your wife now to see how she's doing yeah. you know yeah. Uh, this is one of the one of the, I think one of the highlights of the Shepherd's Toolbox. Uh, there's a chapter in there written by uh, a women's ministry leader, yeah. uh, and she she in, in Oak Mountain Presbyterian Church in uh, Birmingham uh, has led an effort to identify women who would be able to reach out to the women of the church. They're not, they're not elders, they're not ordained, but they're coming alongside the elders to reach out to the women of the church. It's, uh, it's a redundancy in shepherding, and it's, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just so brilliant to me. Uh, you know, Titus 2 talks about women training, older women training younger women, but I think this provides under the authority of the elders an opportunity for women to comfortably relate to uh, to other women who may express their concerns. Yeah. I think that's that's the best thing I've seen so far. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tim, you you have <clears throat> as as Carl mentioned earlier, when when you served as a pastor in the Philadelphia area, um, what were the best things about having a, a good long tenure and and how it and, and not everybody is supposed is supposed to have a you know i was i was reading um i've been reading a, a a really great two volume set on on the uh princeton theological seminary as it was founded mm-hmm. and that sort of thing and some of the great ministers at that time would serve for several years at a church and then be called to another and so there is some of that but but there's something also very, very special about um, being able to plant your roots for for a good long while. What were the chief advantages you experienced as a man who um, served there at Crossroads for a good long time? I think, first of all, to recognize that um, it, it really takes time to get to know people mm-hmm. and for people to trust you. 
Uh, this, I know this has changed in a Methodist church, but I could never figure out why they would move people every five years or so. Because really only at five-year mark that you start to gain the trust right. of, of people. And even, okay, if, if shepherding is knowing your sheep, it takes that long to uh, to really know them. Yeah. Um, and so I'd, I'd say that it's, it's, it's important because you're really in a long tenure um, sense that you become part of a family mm-hmm. that's mutually loved, mutually trusted. Um, and that's important for you as a leader. And it's also important because you know because you know you're going to be there for a while or you hope you're going to be there for a while you got to deal with things yeah you can't you can't say well i'm not going to deal with that person because i'm not going to be here that long mm-hmm. or i'm not going to um do this ministry because i'm not going to be here this long to see it through um i think mcshane's quote is when you're called somewhere figure you're going to be called there the rest of your life mm-hmm. and that was that was my attitude at, at Crossroads. And of course it was a very exciting ministry because it was a multi-ethnic, uh, this, this, this young country lad from monochromatic Lancaster County thrown into the city with uh, one of the most diverse neighborhoods in the country. Yeah. God has a sense of humor, but that shows that all the glory goes to him too. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I think it's, it's, it's the family, it's the trust, it's the longevity of ministry. Um, long tenure really uh, affects your attitude in many things. Yeah. And isn't it true, you know, when we're called to serve somewhere, there's a sense, I mean, if, if God calls us, you know, we begin in a place of love for these people. We, we, we love them. And yet um, that can only go so far until you actually really invest enough time to know these people. Mm -hmm. And so that, uh, you know, giving our heart, uh, to these people, which is a risky thing, but pastors have to do that. Uh, that takes time and um, uh, it takes effort and it takes being disappointed and it takes times when you mess up and they mess up and you have to forgive one another. And um, yes. all of that takes time, doesn't it? Yeah. And one of the joys that I had, and I'm sure you've experienced this, Todd, is um, I uh, baptized a, a young a baby that I baptized, I did her wedding before I left. And that was, that was really great. Yeah. Uh, great, great experience for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, I think about um, Jesus's words to Peter when, when he really kind of, you know, reinstates Peter in, mm-hmm. into service. And it's that challenge of, you know, do you love me? And the application of which is <clears throat> then love my lambs, feed my, my lambs. And that, that, that our vocation as as ministers is to love Jesus by loving His people, mm-hmm. and if we can't pull that off, we're we're not going to be we're not going to be of much service uh, to the yeah, Lord. Yeah, so. you're you're exactly right. That's that's why when the Shepherd's Toolbox came out, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't viewed as a um, a book of techniques, but yeah. the first chapter is read this first, which which makes that very point that. Right our motivation has to be right or the rest of it's not going to make it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, Tim, thank you so much for uh, joining us. And I want to say to our uh, listeners, 
uh, please uh, visit our website, mortificationofspin.org, and you can enter to uh, win, receive free a, a copy of Tim Whitmer's newest book, The Shepherd's Toolbox, Advancing Your Church's Shepherding Ministry. And I would encourage all of you pastors out there to get a copy of this. Um, I would encourage church sessions uh, to get a copy of this, to read these chapters, to discuss uh, their content, and to um, to continue to mature in this calling that we have. Um, this really is uh, uh, what the title describes, a, a toolbox, a, a collection of chapters, each uh, addressing and developing a particular dimension of this call that we have uh, to love God's flock, uh, to shepherd his sheep, and to do it faithfully. Um, and we are thankful once again that Tim uh, joined us today to talk about this uh, really blessed, blessed calling in this important matter. Um, we're so grateful that you uh, listened uh, in on this uh, program today. Uh, if you'd like to make a contribution to the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals, uh, you can do that on our website as well. Uh, until then, we will look forward to being with you all next time. Thanks for listening to Mortification of Spin, a podcast of the Alliance of Confessing Evangelicals. For more on topics like this, visit mortificationofspin.org, where you can find other articles by Carl and Todd, browse the archive of past episodes, and make a donation. We'll talk to you next time on Mortification of Spin. Mortification of Spin.